I hope you noticed again the pictures. Just like, again, David did a good job of pointing out the marbles. It just really reflects how large the problem of abortion is in America. And, and again, we think about life and I, how many times have I heard on the Internet, you know, we don't care if it's a boy or girl as long as it's healthy. I'm not sure that's even the correct thing to say because the child should be loved regardless. If, regardless of how, I'm getting that Paul Paul, older Paul Paul age. And, you know, regardless if, if I know you or don't know you does not detract away from my value as a person. If a person lives in a nursing home, they're still valuable. If a person can't speak any longer, they're still valuable. You know, you've, many of you received a call out today that Joanne Butler had passed away. And she's one of my favorite people. She was the comeback kid, we called her. You'll hear that at her service, I promise you. Because this was her third stroke plus a major seizure and the loss of her husband all in the last few years. But this last stroke left her speechless and unable to move. And she was no less my friend and no less valuable, even though she could not speak any longer. Life is precious. Life is precious. So I chose the title Generations because, again, whether it's a young child or whether it's grandma or great-grandma, every life, through the generations, life is precious, and we should honor it and we should value it. So I start this lesson today with a, such a strange question. You know, Judy sometimes wonders about my introductions, and this may be one she might enter, you know, she might go, hmm, I wonder where I came up with that thought, you know? But here we are in church, in a Baptist church, no less, and I just begin with this question. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? And, and I probably should even tone it a different way and say, do you believe in a God? Because, again, in America, things are changing so quickly. That's probably part of the problem because we're really becoming a nation that no longer believes in God. They may believe in a God, but in our pluralistic society, it could be any kind of, of gods. It could be any one. So do you believe in God? And more specifically, I you probably say yes. Do you believe in, in a God? And by the word believe, I mean put your trust. And again, time is an issue this morning. And so we won't drag the chair out. But when I say believe, is there a God that you put your trust in? And by that, I would put the chair out and I would sit down in it. And when I put my weight in that chair, I am exercising belief. I look at the chair and say, the chair is made to hold me up. I believe in the chair. But when I put my weight in the chair, I'm actually exercising a belief in the chair. Do you believe in God? And if you believe in God, what kind of God is he? Because some people believe in a God that kind of, you know, maybe spoke in grace or you know, and, and started you on your journey with, with him and then left you alone. You know, some of you say, I haven't heard from God in, in decades or years. Um, I don't even know why I come to church anymore because it doesn't seem like God is real. Um, God is a hurtful God. God is a painful God. God is a God who doesn't care. On and on we could go. What kind of God do you believe in? My friend Dakota grabbed me. We have a, every week, Dakota and I have a discussion. It's either, usually it's, it's after church. And I said, Dakota, I need to drive almost to Wisconsin this afternoon. So we, I, I need to leave as soon as church is over. So I really need the discussion before church. And so he had told me this verse and he read it to me this morning. I said, Dakota, that's a good verse. It really is. I said, that'll preach. I said, we ought to do a sermon on that sometime. Something like that. And then I realized it wasn't sometime, it was today. 
Because again, in our nation, and probably he was thinking about that. This is thought in America, and but it's also true in our lives today. Here's what Jeremiah says, and of course, it's written to the nation of Israel. But see if this doesn't ring a bell with you, with the way people live today and the way our country lives. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets. They say to wood, a piece of wood, you are my father. And to a stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Does that not ring a bell? Do a bunch of Democrats and Republicans standing on the Capitol steps saying, God bless America, the day after 9-11 ring a bell with you? Oh, oh, and three days later they were fighting again? Hmm. Come and save us, they say. Where then are the gods, this is God speaking, where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you have as many gods as you have towns, O Judah. So do you believe in God? Do you honestly, truly, gut level believe in God? And if you do, what kind of God is he? And I want to spend the time that I've got this morning trying to explain to you in the context of the very scripture that Adria used today, the very context of what kind of God has hopefully got a hold of you today and what kind of God you have a hold of. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much that you are God and you're an incredible God. You're a wonderful God. You're an all-powerful God. And I pray, Lord, that as this time together, when we leave here today, we'll have a deeper and better understanding of who you are and how much you love us and how much you care for us and how much you value and hold on to life. Would you rock our word? Holy Spirit, I have felt your presence today. I'm asking that you would fill this atmosphere. Father, would you still every heart? Would you focus every mind? And then, Holy Spirit, would you... Cause decisions to happen in people's lives, whether it be a pulling to Jesus Christ as Savior or a pulling to Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you really would have your way. Thank you for your incredible word and the power of it. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. There are some really cool churchy words that kind of describe really who our God is, the value of who he is. And and here's the really cool part um, is that in Psalm 139, we see these three words. And these are words, if you've been a Baptist particularly for a while, these are words that you would grab a hold of. Like, for instance, our God is omniscient. Omniscient. Now, that's even hard to say for me. It's more than two syllables. But it basically means this. Our God knows everything. Now let us soak in. He doesn't know some things. He knows everything. Our God is omnipresent. That is, He is everywhere. And then, our God is omnipotent. And that means our God is all-powerful. Now here's what you need to know. Whatever, whatever God you've got, if you're listening on the radio today and you had to turn into a religious channel and this happens to be the one, if you're here today because your mama promised you lunch and you gave up on God a long time ago and you'd say, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I don't even believe in God, you need to ask yourself the questions, at least to be fair, where does your God line up? 
Does your God know everything? Can your God be everywhere? Can your God be all-powerful? We forget this. Because who's the chief rival of God the Father? Satan is. And we lose sight of this. Write this down. God, God is omniscient. He knows everything. Satan does not. Satan is a created being... He does not know everything. I had a brother-in-law who once told me he never spoke publicly about his sermons because he figured Satan wouldn't know it unless he said it. I mean, Satan's not a mind reader. We give him way too much credit and too much power. I don't know if I agree with Carlton all the way, but I do know this. Our God knows everything and Satan does not. Our Satan cannot be omnipresent. He is a created being. He could be in one place at one time. He may have many demons to do his dirty work, but as a created creature, he's not omnipresent. Our God is. Our God can be everywhere at one time. And you need to write this down because some of you guys have been taught some bad theology. And it's like if, if, oops, if God's not looking, Satan can do whatever he wants. Our God is all-powerful. Omnipotent Satan is not. Now, he's a powerful creature, but in the context of God, he's a loser. He's a loser. Now, if you go up against Satan in your own power, you're going to get whooped. You're going home with your tail between your legs. But when we go in the name of Jesus Christ with the power and authority of God and filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit, there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. So I hope, listen, I hope your God, I hope your God is Jehovah God. I hope your God, you understand, your God is omniscient. He knows all. That your God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at one time. That your God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. I hope you don't have one of these wooden stone gods because I'm telling you, they'll let you down every time. They're not even real gods. So first let's look. Let's look at what the psalmist says. And by the way, the, the psalmist is David. This is a tribute to David. Let's see what David says about God knowing everything. Here's what he says. He says, you have searched me and know me. This is Psalm 139, verse number 1. Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Now, yeah, I've got to be careful with time, but I really want you to get this. I mean, you know, have you figured out, Chet, when you were growing up and students today, you think your parents don't know. They do know. Did you know a long time ago, and again, I think the story illustrates, so I'm going to tell it, take time to tell it. A long time ago when Jennifer was in college, she asked to borrow the family car one night, and I gave her strict instructions. I said, you're to go to the college and you're to come back home. Well, that was on a Saturday, and, and then um, Sunday morning I get up, I could see that the car had hit something, and whatever it was had hair and blood, okay? So I said, Jennifer, what's going on? What'd you hit? Well, Dad, I was getting off the interstate, you know, and, and a deer ran out in front of me, and I hit the deer. Well, you can't, you know, hey, okay, that's, I get that, all right, you know, wash the blood and hair off, just in the headlight just a little bit. Ten, year, ten years later, her husband tells me the story. She had disobeyed, and she had not got off the interstate. She had driven all the way up. She went down to Shawnee College. She had driven all the way up to Marion to be with her friends at Steak and Shake. And she hit the deer. And, and for, Now, first off, what is the deer doing in front of Steak and Shake? Hello? Be sure your sin will find you out. So the Bible says. But she whacks this deer in front of Steak and Shake. But eventually, the truth came out. Students, I'm trying to tell you something. Your parents may not know right away, but they're going to find out. You know, mamas, 
Mamas have internal radar. They will know. Husbands, you need to figure it out about your wife. They've got something we don't have. I'm just telling you. And God has it and says, David says, you have searched me and known me. And then he goes into this process of the things that he knew that God knew. It just, it's awesome. It's powerful. He says, you know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. He says, God, you know my every move. Now, don't let this be a negative thing. Oh, God knows my every move. Think about this. As you journey through life, God knows your every move. He knows when you're action, when you're active, you're working. He knows when you're resting. God knows your every move. You're aware of all the ways. You observe my travels and my rest. He knows the paths that you take. Hey, anybody here got on a wrong path in life? Yeah, you look back and you go, boy, I wish I hadn't taken that road. You need to know this. Even when we go on the, God, the wrong road, God knows. And God is with us. God knows and God is with us. That's just a really good thing to know. So, so you know my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. He says this. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. And y'all need to write that one down. I mean, did you know? I just know based on that alone, I'm going, okay, God is up in heaven. And I'm fixing to say something. He goes, don't, Dwayne. You think, men, you're going to say something to your wife. Wife, you're going to say something to your men. Parents, you're going to say something to your students. Students, you're going to say something to the parents. And you're fixing to blurt it out. God already knows. Now, if you want a scripture about the sovereignty of God, that's it. Before we even speak a word, God knows. Say, say God knows with me. God knows. And he does. Now, your wimp God may not be able to do that, but our all-powerful God, all-knowing God, can. Before a word is on my tongue, you already know it. And you've got to love this. Look at verse 5. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This is a beautiful picture. There's a hymn even written about, God, you go before me. It's a beautiful picture. Let's just go with the encircling word that the Holman Christian Standard uses. Whether you see God is before you or God behind you, the picture is accurate. But imagine a circle of power around you. Have you got that? As you journey through life, God, you encircle me. Now, here's what I want you to get. Sometime that circle is facing inward. You have a God who protects you from yourself. There have been times, men, you were on a path that was going to lead you to destroying your family. And to this day, you can't explain it, but you backed out. You didn't meet her. You didn't talk with her. Something changed your mind. At work, you're going to make a decision that could have imprisoned you. And you can't figure it out. But the last minute, you backed out. That was God's encircling power. Protecting you from yourself. Protecting you from decisions that could harm and hurt you. Kids, you know the same thing. Students, you know the same thing. Hey, you want to go out Friday night? We've got somebody who's going to buy us some alcohol. At the last minute, you said, "Uh uh-uh. That's God's encircling power protecting you from yourself. Aren't you glad he's a God who protects you from you? I'm telling you, we need that. We need that. But sometimes the circle's pointing out. And that's when he's our defender. He's our protector from all that want to hurt us. Oh, listen, we're going to talk about in prayer time in our prayer series where he says, protect me from the evil one. So, you know, some of what the cross was about was protecting us from the evil one. I mean, when God encircles us, we are protected by God. We serve an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God, an all-present God, and he's stronger and powerful than Satan, and he encircles us. He knows everything. 
thing. He goes on and says this, This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me, is lofty, I'm unable to reach it. The psalmist David is going, God, when I think about the fact that you know everything, whether I'm sitting or whether I'm rising, whether I'm walking, whether I'm going, you encircle me, you protect me from me, and then sometimes you protect me from others. God, that's so lofty, I can't get a hold of it. I'm going to say something real quick, real short. I'm not going to try to lavish it with a story. I'm just going to tell you the truth, and some of you need to write it down. God loves you. God loves you. This proves it. Now, I know I've done this before, and I know you say, Dwayne, do you have another illustration? I'll never move from it. This forever shouts that God loves me. God loves me. And, and we see that illustrated in Psalm 139 in his knowing everything. He loves you. He knows, watch, watch. He knows everything about you and loves you anyway. Even my wife doesn't do that. I am certain if Judy knew everything about me, she would go, and why am I married to him? Listen, God knows every... Oh, oh, oh. God knows what you've done. God knows what you're going to do this afternoon. And God knows what you're going to do a week from now. And he still Loves you. But you know what else? I can't find a good word. So I'll use the word that I would like to use. And it's God likes you. I've told a couple people this week that God is not up in heaven regretting the decision he made to let you into the family. I have a, I get cards from people and, and, and sometimes people sign them love. I have one person who sends me a card, actually me and Judy, not just me, me and Judy, and the person signs the card fondly. Fondly. It's an old-fashioned word. Fondly. I like being loved, but that's commanded by the Bible. I like even better that a person would say, I'm fond of you and Judy. But then one person. One person sends me a card, and she signs it the same way every single time. You know how she signs it? Your friend. Your friend. I like that. She knows my warts. She knows my shortcomings as a pastor. And she said, I still choose to be your friend. I want you to know something. Knowing all your warts and all your imperfections, God still chooses to be your God. He chooses to be your friend. Isn't that awesome? Now listen, grab a hold of this. It might just revelize what you think about God. So God knows everything. And it gets even better. Then, then the, the psalmist David keeps talking and talks about the omnipresence of God. That God is everywhere. And he starts out a little bit weird. He says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And it sounds like he's running from God. But that's not what this psalm is about. He, he's trying to say and teach us that there's nowhere he could go that God is not there. Now think about that. When you choose that wrong path, I'm just being blunt. Sir, I'm not sure why you would be a believer and do this, but when you're with your girlfriend on Friday night and your wife's at home, don't you think God stayed home that night? You know, I didn't quite succeed, but 
<laughs> you might want to teach your daughters that there will be three men who always, or excuse me, four men who always go with them on every date. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every date. I told Faith the other night, is she here? <laughs> Where is she? <laughs> yeah, you remember the last thing I, I told you when you were walking out the door to the high school? What did I say? I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you. All right, Faith, remember this. It's homecoming. Boys are evil. <laughs> did I tell you that? You remember I said that? Boys are evil. <laughs> just, just don't trust them. You know, it's incredible. It's incredible. Listen, but, but, but here is God, and he's always with us. Not in a negative way. Not big brother. Not browbeating. He's there watching over us. You know, Hebrews 13.5 says, Excuse me, I didn't want to come in the middle of a sentence. That's why this first part's there. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You mess up, God's there. You have a good week, God is there. You mess up at church, God's there. Preach a bad sermon, God's there. Have an imperfect worship set, God is there. I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He's not ashamed of you. He's proud to call you his child. Not because of you, but because of him. Because of him. And then... It literally explodes. He says in verse 8, If I go to heaven, you are there. So, so, so the psalmist is saying, So God, if I ascend, if, if I were to go to heaven, if I were to sit to heaven, when I got there, you would be there. And isn't that kind of expected? I mean, you kind of expect God to be in heaven but here's what I want you to get. If you, were to, if you were to go right now to heaven, let's say we could take the express train without having to die. Well, I didn't want to get too depressing. So we take the express chain up to heaven and we say, we're here to see Jesus. You need to know something. You would not go to the preschool department. When you get to heaven, don't look for baby Jesus. Come on with me. Some of you are thinking, I know where he's going. And when you get to heaven, don't go to the middle school department. Because he's not a 12-year-old boy. Don't go to the adult department. Because while he was an adult on this earth, he's somewhere beyond that now. No, when you get to heaven and you're looking for Jesus... Don't go to preschool, don't go to middle school, and don't go somewhere else. You go to the throne room. Because he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Now that's where you clap. That's where you clap. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. So, so when David says, I go to heaven and you are there, who is the you? It's the king of kings. It's the Lord of lords. It's Jesus Christ almighty that he finds in heaven. I love, listen to Revelation chapter 19. God, listen to this. Just let it soak in. And, and some of you students would go, uh, Dwayne, that's a little far-fetched. I've seen the movies we watch. Star Wars, this is nothing compared to Star Wars. Listen to this. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges, and I just, and he makes war. 
His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. His clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, pure and white, were following on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When you get to heaven, you expect that. But then David goes one step further. He, He says, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and soul, if I, make my, if I make my bed in the place of the dead, you are there. See, he's not only the king of heaven. He's the king of the grave. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The kingdom took over. The king done took over. That's why we'll have a funeral this week for a sister we love. But death did not win. She is more alive today than ever. We have the promise of eternal life. And the psalmist looking forward said one day, if I were to go to the face, the place of the dead, there's a king there. And it's not Satan. It's Jesus. He's the king. And then he says this. If I live, verse 9, if I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. He goes, if I go this way toward the east and I see the beginning of the day, if I see the dawn, or if I go to the west, to the limits there, and see the setting of the sun, guess what? He's the king of the dawn and he's the king of the sunset. If that, if that represents a human life, he's king of, of the womb at the very first heartbeat in the womb. And he is king into all of eternity, the sunset. If it's a day, he's king of that day as it dawns. And he's king of the, of, of the sunset that ends that day. He's king of your todays. He's king of your Tomorrow's. If you worry about a new year, he's king at the beginning of January 1st. He's king at December 31st. Are you worried about an age? He's king at the beginning of the age. He's king at the end of the age. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. Can your God say that? Y'all hung up on money and materialism. Can your God say all that? Your God can't, can it? God says, well, go ahead and get those gods that you're so fond of. But when you're in trouble, who are you going to call them? The one true God. The one true God. He goes on further. He says, at the end of those limits, at dawn and sunset, he says, your hand, your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. Now listen. (laughs) Newsflash. You have not got a hold of God. And be grateful. God's got to hold you. He's the holder and you're the hold E. Come on now, y'all. Shoot that thing. That's the kind of God he is. 
I thought about this old hymn. I love it. And boy, I hadn't thought of this in a long time, David. Lead on, O King Eternal. The day of march has come. Henceforth in fields of conquest, your tents will be our home. Through days of preparation, your grace has made us strong. And now, O King Eternal, we lift our battle song. His hand leads me and his hand holds me. And about this time, I had no choice but to say, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And He delights in our way. And even if we fall, and even if we fall, and even if we fall, He upholds us. We won't be utterly cast down because He upholds us with His strong arm. Can you, God, say that? You don't know the good deal you got when you got Jesus. He ain't no wimp God. He ain't no pretend God. He ain't no God wannabe. He's the real deal. And we got it. Not because we deserved it. Not because God said, oh, we got to let him in. He's a good one. Grace, baby. Grace. On your best day, depraved. Your best day was the day you met Jesus Christ through grace. No doubt about it. He goes on and says this. He said, I love this one. Look at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, And the light around me will be night. And he's not talking about day and night. He's talking about when your world implodes. When you get the call from the sheriff. When you find out. When the phone call comes. When you lose your job. He said, when darkness overwhelms me, even the darkness is not dark to you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Because darkness and light are light to you. That's big. In other words, he's king when it's daytime. And he's king when it's nighttime. When your life is sunny and bright and things are going well, you've got a good job, your kids are doing good, life is great, he's king. But when the sun sets and the storm clouds roll in and the bad news comes, guess what? He's still king. He's still, now, that's good. Did you do that? If you're here wondering, well, I don't know if I believe in that God stuff. Can your God do all this? And by the way, this is all recorded in a book that's, that's written over 1,500 years by, by 40 authors. It's proved itself. It's not the Reader's Digest or the Wall Street Journal, thankfully. It is the Word of God. So then we see the omnipotence. And this is the part where Andrew was reading from. For it was you. And, and the Hebrew has a writing tool. When it repeats it, it's for, for it to make it emphatic. So here's what I would really transfer, uh, translate. For it was you, yes, it was you. It was you, yes, it was you, who created my inward parts. You've got to appreciate this. The Hebrews have a little bit of sense of humor. See, the word inward parts translates kidney. So, so, you know, when, when you tell your wife, Honey, I love you with all my heart. Not if you're a Jew, you wouldn't. you say, Honey, I love you with all my kidneys. Doesn't that just warm your heart, ladies? Don't just make you want to be a Hebrew. I mean, I love you with all my kidneys. No, no, no. So, so he says, For it was you who created my, my inward parts. My, 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 and again, thinking, thinking to the Hebrews, that meant the soul, the being, the central part. You knit me together in my mama's womb. 
carries clearly the context of fetus in the womb, as the unborn in the womb, as, as, these, as the two came together in, in that womb. The, I don't want to say the words. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I've got to keep this ready, PG. But as it came together, souls were knit. Life began. When, well, let me just put it this way. Life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. And, and David knew and says, you knit me together in my mama's womb. I will, I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. And just one more time, can I say it? Don't believe the naysayers. It might be your mom and daddy who don't believe in you. And your mama is telling you what a failure you are. Your daddy is telling you what a failure. Not proud of you because, because, because. Don't believe the naysayers, men at work or ladies at work. Ma'am, I need to say, don't believe your husband when he does not speak affirmation. He speaks condemnation to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God Almighty. And not, not if you're perfect, because guess what? None is. Not if you have, you know, you're, physically you're not perfect or mentally you're not perfect. You are fearfully and wonderfully made the way God made you. And God, don't make mistakes. God, don't make mistakes. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know this very well. He says, by personal experience, David spending time on the mountains. David as the king says, I know these things so well. My bones were not hidden from you, verse 15, when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Talking about the time of the womb. We have the privilege now. and, And we see these. Is it 4D now? We see the 4D ultrasounds. I mean, it's like a snapshot. Did you ever dream that you could see your baby so clearly before it was born? See, you couldn't back here. If my mama could have seen me, she'd send me back. She said, we're going to try that one again. That one did not work. But we have the ability now to see. But David could not. He said, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret when I was formed. God, only you. There was nobody could see but you, but you saw me. As I was in the womb. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in the book and planned before a single one of them began. Wow. I bet the, the pro-choicers wrestle with that. They call themselves Christians. Do you understand what he just said? He said, listen, first of all, before you were even formed in the womb, I knew you. But then all my days were written while I was in the womb. Listen to this. Listen. Jeremiah 1 Four through five. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah speaking, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before he was born. Before there was a Jeremiah in the womb, God knew him. Jeremiah 29, 11. Love this one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, he's powerful. See, he's the only God that can create. I was watching the Channel 8. I do like public TV. I like some of the programs they have. But they were trying to explain how the universe created or how the, the galaxy's name was created. And they was trying to say, you know, that there was, the earth was formed. How about that? The earth was formed without void. You know, it's, uh, it's all those things, formless. And then water was sucked from the galaxy. Now, that takes a lot of faith. They, they say, I don't have enough faith to believe in God. And you believe this stuff? 
Water was sucked down from the earth. And all water, earth became a water-filled planet because water was sucked from the galaxy. Last time I checked, there wasn't no water space anyway. I mean, I really left the program confused. How can these things be? You know? And then they said that everything came from matter. Well, who made the matter? I mean, are you understanding what I'm saying? Now listen, before you guys, you college students, believe what your college professor says. Before you swallow it, like, like Andy said, I, I like it a lot. He may be smarter than you, but that don't mean he's right. I'm telling you, it takes a lot more faith to believe that somehow the Big Bang happened. Well, actually, the Big Bang did happen. It's just that God did it. <laughs> he spoke and bang, there it was. We serve an awesome God. He's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Is your God that way? Are you starting to understand? Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. When I got Jesus, wait a minute. I got a, a God who knows everything? Yeah. You, you got a God who can be everywhere? Yeah. And you got a God who can create something from nothing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And he creates every single life. God, how difficult how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend. How vast the sum is. David says, when I think about all this, God, it's just too big for me. I love this. Listen, listen. If I could count them, the thoughts, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, I am still with you. Here's the deal. Resurrection there does not fit the context. I think it's like this. David said, God... I'm going to count your thoughts. And about day number three and a half, he falls asleep. He's on about a billion. And he falls asleep. And wakes up, there's God waiting going, are you ready to count again? That's how big our God is. His thoughts are innumerable. He's that big and that strong. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that wonderful? He goes on and says this. We're going, the part about killing everybody, we'll skip for another day. Search me, verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. David closes with a prayer to this great God and said, God, you're just so much bigger than I am. God, I surrender. Search me. Know me. Lead me into the way everlasting. And that's the God that we are privileged to know. That's the God. He's so much bigger than a baby in a manger. He's so much bigger than a 12-year-old boy saying, I must be about my father's business. He's even bigger than the one who would walk up and heal. It's almost immeasurable. Think about this. Take this home with you. This is your... Object lesson for the day. When you remember this, remember he's the king of heaven and that's pointing up. Remember he's the king over the grave and that's pointing down. And remember, whatever that dawn is, whether it be for a new life or whether it be for a new career, whether it be for a day, a month, or a year, or decade, that's that way. And that sunset, wherever it is, whether it's the end of your life, an end of an era, an, an end of time on earth, whatever it is, that's that way. 
And the cross declares the kingship of Jesus. The cross declares the kingship of Jesus. And that's who your God is. Amen? Amen? All right. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. You know, I really mean this, guys. If you're here today, and I'm not talking about folks who normally go to church. Maybe you're one of those people, like say you're listening on the radio or whatever. But if you'll just examine God and who he is, give him his day in court, if you will. You know, you may not have all the answers to all the questions, but what you're going to stumble into is some undeniable things. And again, an Andy Stanley quote halfway that says, I refuse to give up the undeniable for the unexplainable. Yeah, there's questions about God I can't understand. And I'm glad because he's bigger than me. I can't understand all about him. But there's some undeniables that I just can't turn away from. And that is that great God. Now, if you're here today, and maybe you're searching. Something pulled you to church today. It was more than a freak day on the calendar. It may well have been the Holy Spirit getting you here to hear about a great God who loves you a lot. One who died on a Roman cross for you, but then came back to life and lives today. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front, and we'd love to share with you about Jesus and who he is more than what you heard today. Try to answer questions because God loves you no matter what you've done. And because of what Jesus did, not so you, not, you know, if you're, if you're perfect or if you think you've done enough good stuff, because of what Jesus did, he's willing to forgive your sins and bring you into his family. All you've got to do is believe and turn from your sin. Follow Jesus. Turn and follow Jesus. We're going to be glad to talk with you about that. If you're here today, and I just don't want to mention this, but you know, maybe there's some other decision. It might be you know, you're a follower, but you've never been baptized, and you're wondering about baptism. Perhaps God spoke to you about joining our church family. You want to know how to do that. Maybe you want to come and pray. A lot of hard things going on. You know to pray for the Butler family. We mentioned them today. So maybe there's something going on. The altar will be open. We've got some friends who will pray with you. you know, I really believe God's got something for you today. Not some of you. All of you. God's got something. God's got something. And this is our time of decision. If we can help you in any way, we want to do that. God, thank you. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our friend in Christ through grace. And we pray, Father, for your will to be done now in our lives. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.